Blog Talk Radio.
everybody, and thank you for choosing the King Jordan Radio Show for Tuesday, December 2nd, 2014. This is King Jordan you're listening to, and welcome to the King Jordan Radio Show, where tonight on our wrestling show, we will go over what happened on the podcast when uh, Vince McMahon was a special guest on Stone Cold Steve Austin. We'll get into that. We'll get into Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, the new network with TNA. We'll, we'll see what's doing with them and much, much more. First, let's bring in out of Chicago. He is our wrestling insider, and he joins us uh, once again. A big welcome to Double J, JJ. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening, JJ, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you, and how was your Thanksgiving? Ah, very good, King. Hope yours was well. Happy uh, belated Thanksgiving to all of uh, King Jordan Radio's listeners. Uh, like you said, so much to get into, from TNA's new television deal to CM Punk finally speaking out why he left the WWE, and even Vince McMahon and Steve Austin's podcast after Monday Night Raw on the network, which was really, uh, they build it as a no-holds-barred and anything goes. And for the most part, they answered a lot of questions that fans had about literally almost anything and everything you could imagine. So a lot to get into. Really looking forward to it. Absolutely. And let's see if we have uh, Mr. Dominic or Blackjack with us. Let's go over to line three. Your line is open. Dominic Blackjack, are you with us? Brother King, Brother JJ, how are you guys to see you? Blackjack, great to hear from you, man. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was excellent. Superb. How about yours? Great. Awesome. Okay, let's, JJ, let's start off with the uh, news that Ms. Mann said on the Steve Austin show. Yes, uh, you know, the uh, of course, after Monday Night Raw, they were billing uh, Vince McMahon a no-holds-barred uh, uh, appearance on Steve Austin's podcast in which they would talk about a number of things, including with, you know, how's the WWE Network doing? And Vince said, you know, the entertainment on there is great, uh, the content on there is great, and the subscription rate is good. I mean, it obviously could be better, but they're still trying to meet expectations. They're still, it's going to take a lot of time before it's where they want it to be. And, of course, Austin brought up the fact that the U.K. still doesn't have the network. And Vince mentioned there's a lot of, you know, start and stop uh, that process, a lot of hassles, and they're hoping that more will be finalized by the first of the new year. So hopefully by January 1st of 2015, They'll have a lot more information on when they can go public with the network in the U.K. I mean, they, they even talked about, you know, the three-hour shows on Monday Night Raw and how, you know, the whole show is just a story and how, you know, pro wrestling versus sports entertainment. And Austin said that he wants to see more wrestling on Monday Night Raw. And he says there's so many segments. He mentioned that, you know, just that first segment at the start of the show, it sometimes can go overboard or uh, can, you know, be 15 minutes too long. And Vince said that, you know, the thing is with wrestling and uh, the fans today, they want their instant gratification. They watch these clips on YouTube, which are just a few minutes long. 
they have these short attention spans, so he has these segments to help build and help establish the stories and the, the characters to get you invested in the matches so that when they do have matches, you care about the outcome as opposed to just having a match, and there's really no reason for why you would care if you're a casual fan. Obviously, wrestling fans just care about the wrestling, but the WWE is trying to target their demographic, and they want that casual fan who's going to watch it and enjoy it and see something come from it. So he says there's just a lot of people that they're trying to target, and, you know, sometimes they have a hit and sometimes they miss. He he admittedly said that, you know, not every show – is a hit, you know. He says that, you know, it's just part of the process. You see what works and what doesn't. And uh, Austin also brought up, you know, how a lot of the guys in the locker room, it's a lot different atmosphere than when he was in the locker room in the Attitude Era. And Vince uh, said that, yeah, it is different. A lot of the guys, you know, whether or not people like to say they walk on eggshells, you know, they don't want to piss anyone off. They're afraid to lose their spot. He says very few guys are willing to grab the brass ring. He mentioned that John Cena was maybe one of the last guys to really grab that brass ring, and that's why he's been as successful as he has. He mentioned there's a lot of young guys who he thinks want to be that guy, guys like Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and Bray Wyatt. And he says he tries to give everyone the opportunity, but, you know, some people – they take the ball and then they run with it. Other people, you can give them the ball. You can put the jet pack on them, as Austin said. You can push them to the moon, but if they don't deliver, then, I mean, what more can you really do? And they brought up Cesaro. Cesaro was a guy who they felt, you know, was going to be a big star. They had a lot of things they were getting ready for him for. They mentioned that, uh, obviously, when he broke away from the Real Americans, he had this little push. He had this momentum. The fans were behind him. Austin even said, you know, I really like this guy as a character. I was really into him. And then all of a sudden he was with Heyman. And Heyman, of course, was the, you know, the evil heel manager. So it's like now you, Cesaro's guilty by association because you hate Heyman. And we were just starting to respect Cesaro on his own. But now we kind of hate Cesaro because he's with Heyman. They got him away from Heyman. But now he's kind of lost in the shuffle. And Vince did point out that, you know, he he sees what's been going on with Cesaro, and he says that obviously he's a very talented individual. He, you know, respects his in-ring work, but there is something missing, that, that it. And that's one of the things they just haven't figured out yet, and they haven't, uh, you know, gotten him to that point yet. He says they're not giving up on Cesaro. You know, he wants to see Cesaro do well, but for now he's just missing that that thing. He's missing it. And they mentioned, you know, with Steve Austin when he was the ringmaster and, you know, when it took him to be Stone Cold Steve Austin to find it. And they're still waiting to find it with guys like Cesaro. They even brought up Shane McMahon, Vince's son. Uh, A lot of the times I'll go on Twitter and I'll hear people say, where's Shane? We want Shane back. So they talked about Shane McMahon. They said, well, you know, Shane left the WWE, doesn't work there. He has other opportunities where his talents are useful and he's making the most of it. He did some work in Japan. He did some other things. Of course, he's spending time with his family, which he wouldn't really be able to do if he was working in the WWE. Because in the WWE, he works guys to the bone. I mean, it's a it's a 24-7 job, 
and it can be very difficult, especially when you're working with family and you kind of have to boss them around and make the, make sure they fall in line. You know, it's very difficult uh, to take orders from your family. So he says it, it's probably the best relationship he has with Shane right now is that he's away and he's doing his own thing and he has, you know, time with his family, and that's really what what's matters. And, of course, Austin said, okay, yes or no, do you want to talk about CM Punk or not? And Vince, you know, said he didn't mind talking about Punk. And the first thing he did say was this is something we could get into uh, when we talk about CM Punk's side of the story. But Vince, which was a complete shock to me, Vince McMahon publicly apologized for firing CM Punk on his wedding day. Punk got the papers on his wedding day, his termination from the WWE. And Vince said there was a mix-up with talent relations. Of course, he was getting married, and they weren't. Uh, they didn't really know when the date was going to happen, and it was just a coincidence, according to Vince, that he got the termination papers on his wedding date. And he did apologize for that. He felt very bad that you know he got fired on his wedding day, and that's the one point that Vince did apologize in, which, again, how often does Vince McMahon apologize for anything? So this was a surprise to me, at least. But he, he did talk about other issues, about Punk being disgruntled, and that maybe he might say something that he might regret. But at the end of the day, Vince said that he always tries to do what's best for business, and he made a joke about how, yes, that has been a catchphrase on television, and they use it a lot, but Vince says at his heart, that's what he feels he's always tried to do. He's worked with guys like Austin, who walked out. He's worked with Hogan, who always you know, said things about Vince. He even worked and got his relationship back together with the Ultimate Warrior. So he's willing to put his ego aside and to do what he feels is best for business and the fans. So he even said at one point he hopes that when Punk cools down, that he would be open to working with, with Punk again in the future. He says, but, you know, for now... He doesn't want to air out, you know, their personal dirty laundry or anything like that. He said that, you know, punk is free to talk for punk. You know, I'm not going to talk for punk. So that's that's all he really said about punk. But uh, it was I'm glad they covered the issue. Obviously, a lot of fans thought they were going to tip uh, tiptoe over it or Vince would give some sort of corporate response. And for the most part, Vince, like I said, he was very cool. He was very collected. He was calm. You know, he knew what he was going to say. He wasn't going to fly off the handle. You know, he said it's very, you know, professional. He gave a very professional response about the situation. And I think, I hope, at least the fans were happy with Vince's response. They even talked about Jim Ross. Of course, Jim Ross, who no longer works there. Jim Ross, who will be working with Jeff Jarrett with uh, Global Force Wrestling in January. And Austin always put over Jr. saying he was one of the best in the business, the best minds. And uh, they talked about the – well, Vince didn't want to talk about the Los Angeles incident, which, of course, I think a lot of people know the Los Angeles incident was that, that 2K, maybe 14 panel in which, you know, Ric Flair kind of went into business for himself and just was talking about himself and just kind of took away from the video game. And it was JR's job to really get Vince or get Flair in line. And that didn't happen. But Vince didn't want to get into it. He did say that JR did a lot of great business for the WWE. And he said JR's another person that he hopes that, you know, he can work again in the future. 
and Austin brought up when Austin walked out on the company back in was it 2002 or so, it took Jim Ross to really bridge the gap between him and the WWE and with Vince and to sort of you know break peace among them. And he said, is there anyone in line who could bridge the gap between you and CM Punk? And then that's where Vince said, well, unfortunately, no. I mean, we were fortunate that, you know, with Jim, he, of course, he was in talent relations at the time. He had a very close relationship with Austin. And, you know, they had that going. But with Punk, they mentioned, well, Punk's a bit of a loner. Punk is kind of, he stands away from other people. He doesn't, he lacks this communication skill. At least that's what Vince said. And he says there's no one who, you know, Punk's very close with who could then talk to Vince. There's nobody like a Jim Ross who could bridge that gap and to hopefully, you know, make peace and have Punk come back to work. And if maybe he did have that, Punk would still be in the WWE today. But, like I said, they didn't have someone like a Jim Ross so that didn't happen, and that's why things kind of went the way they were. But he also brought up the Undertaker streak. A lot of fans, uh, we talked about it before, not happy with the Undertaker losing at WrestleMania to Brock Lesnar, who's a part-time guy who's you know rarely ever here. And Vince, he defended his, uh, his he defended himself by saying that you know Taker was always a very willing guy. He was a guy who always wanted to give back to the business he was always very generous in the ring and he said it was just a matter of time before it was the right time and he mentioned that you know with wrestlemania coming and the fact that the roster is thin he did admit that the the roster right now there's not a lot of big stars you have a lot of guys who are trying to climb up the ladder but still aren't there yet so he said who really would be next in line. You know, Vince was trying to think about who's next. So he looked, and at that time, Brock was that guy. Brock was the guy, and he said he couldn't imagine anyone else who could live up to, you know, the hype of an Undertaker versus so-and-so match. He said Brock, who was coming in red hot, obviously from the UFC, uh, you know, his matches with uh, John Cena, his matches with Triple H, he was coming in hot, they were going to push him, so he was just the right guy at the right time who could be the he – had, he had enough star power to take on Undertaker and to beat Undertaker and for it to be believable. And even Mark, which surprised me yet again, Vince McMahon breaking, you know, KFAB and calling the Undertaker by his real name, Mark, which, you know, something I'm shocked. I'm surprised he didn't just call him Taker, but he called him Mark, <laughs> and he mentioned – yeah, he mentioned how Mark was okay with it. You know, it wasn't Mark's call. It wasn't the Undertaker's call to lose. But Taker was cool with that it was Brock because he always wanted to work with Brock. So he agreed to it. So Vince says, you know, I stand by that decision. And sometimes when you're the boss, you have to make the hard decision. And not everyone's going to like it. But he said he still feels to this day that it was the right decision to make. And, of course, the first thing that Austin says was, okay, let's talk about Brock. Why isn't Brock around? Where is he? And why isn't he here more often? Again, Vince said, well, Brock's a special attraction. And in his contract, he has an X number of days. And at the same time, because he is a special attraction, you don't want to see him every week. Because, again, the roster is thin. How many times are you going to see Brock beat up the same guys over and over again 
what can you do with that? Eventually you're going to run out of talent and you're going to run out of things for Brock to do. So he's out here only once in a while because it makes it a big deal. It makes it when you see Brock, it matters, and you have to tune in because you know he's not going to be on next week. So that was Vince's argument with you know Brock being a part-time guy. And then, of course, they talked about Sting. And they said, finally, Sting stepped foot in a WWE ring. Where's Sting? Vince said the same exact thing. He said, again, Sting, much like Brock, he's a special attraction. And if you bring him every week, every week, he's going to lose that special attraction. Right now, he has that kind of mystique going for him. The audience, you know, they've never seen him in a WWE ring before. And any time you see Sting, it's going to be rare, it's going to be special, and it's going to get people buzzing. And that's what he wants. He says, right now, it's a different time than when you, he's mean you, of course, he's talking to Steve Austin. And Austin says, listen, I was there every week. You know, and I thought we were doing great business. And Austin, Vince said, yes, but again, it's a different time then than it is now. And the fans are different now, and the company's different. The company is global. It's public. And it wasn't like that when the Attitude Era was just kind of wrapping up. They were still in the process of it, uh, you know, being a full-time, you know, public global company changing into a PG, uh, you know, ratings. A lot was changing by the time Austin and, you know, Rock were leaving. So he mentions there's a lot different now, so they have to do a different kind of business. So now I'm sure this is what everyone's been looking forward to. Steve Austin just flat out said, what about Randy Savage in the Hall of Fame? When is it going to happen? Will it happen? And Vince said, yes. He said, well, what? He said, yes, it will happen. So then Austin said, when? When is Randy Savage going to be in the WWE Hall of Fame? And Vince said, I don't know. But he said, I I can't say it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be next year. I don't know if it's going to be 10 years from now. But I'm hoping that it's soon. So he said soon. What does soon mean? I don't know. Could it be this year? Could it be next year? I don't know. But he did say Randy Savage will eventually be in the WWE Hall of Fame. It's just a matter of it being the right time. Of course, they also discussed the Monday Night War. They talked about how they never really wanted to put WCW out of business. They were just more focused on themselves. They wanted to be number one. They felt that they had a better product anyway, and they just wanted it to reflect that in the ratings, and they wanted the fans to, to believe that as well. They didn't, they didn't think WCW had the best product. They felt that eventually WCW would run out of ideas. Once the NWO ran its course, what would they do next? And WCW didn't really have an answer to it. Meanwhile, Vince, you know, he always knew, okay, we got this going on with Rock, we got this going on with Foley, we got this going on with Triple H. He always had something in his back pocket to keep things interesting and to keep people watching on Monday Night Raw. Well, on Nitro, it just feels like they kind of ran out of ideas and they just kind of gave up and they were just putting whatever they could out and they just lost passion for it. They talked about... Uh, the territory days, which I'm sure Dominic and Blackjack could appreciate. They talked about, you know, Vern Gagne. They talked about Vince going, you know, head-to-head with Bill Watts. They talked about, you know, Jim uh, Crockett. And they just talked about how, you know, the business changed and how Vince just kind of dominated, although Vince didn't like the fact that Austin said he dominated the territories and, you know, stole all their talent. 
he basically compared the territories to when he said Brett screwed Brett, and he said the territories kind of put themselves out of business, which, again, this is Vince's side of the story, which I'm sure everyone has their own uh, opinion of that. But uh, And then one of the last things they went over, and actually here's the, the really interesting part, because a few weeks ago we were talking about the ECW Exposed show, which was on the network. We, they did one show. It was really great, but they ran out of time. They ran out of time, so they kept recording, and then they issued a part two, which uh, we talked about last week on King Jordan Radio. But here with Vince and Austin, they ran overtime. They went over an hour, and Vince is going, listen, I'm the boss of the network. I say we're going to have another 15 minutes. So instead of cutting it off short, they just kept the show going for another 15 minutes. So one of the last things they talked about was something that Punk discussed on his podcast with Colt Cabana, The Art of Wrestling. And Austin asked Vince, you know, some people might say that, you know, you're a 69-year-old man. You know, what do you have in touch, you know, with the, the common man? Are you out of touch with uh, wrestling? Are you out of touch with the audience? Are you listening to the audience? And, you know, Vince just flat out said, no, I'm not out of touch with the audience. I do listen to them. I try to give them what they want. Of course, sometimes they don't know what they want, so that's why I have to give them this, and then I have to see if it works. And if it does work, then great. But if it doesn't work, then I have to keep trying until something does work. So he, according to Vince, he says he does listen to the audience and that he's not out of touch, and he's just trying to put the best product out there, and that's what he's been trying to do from the, the get-go. It's always about putting the best product out there. And, of course, they even talked about TNA very briefly. Not They didn't go into depth or anything, but Austin didn't mention them twice. He just mentioned how, you know, on Monday night the ratings aren't what they used to be, and Vince mentioned how television has changed. And Austin said, well, all due to respect to TNA, TNA is not your competition. He says they're wrestling, but wrestling isn't your competition. What's your competition if it's not TNA, if they're not competition to you? And Vince flat out said, well, my competition today is entertainment, you know, because there are a lot more channels today than there were, you know, 20 years ago. 20 years ago when you were just on cable, and of course there was the Monday Night War, you know, 15 years ago, you know, you just had your main cable stations, you know, now you have all these satellite channels, you have all these hundreds of channels on cable, you also have the internet and internet subscription shows. That's all competition that Vince has to fight against when Raw's on every Monday night. It's not just another wrestling show. It's everything. Everything's his competition, and that kind of shows in the, in the ratings, where if the ratings are down because maybe football's really big one night or maybe the Real Housewives of whatever is really big some night, you know, it's all something that pays into what's going on with the ratings. But he said for the most part, He's happy with the way the ratings are. He says we're doing well considering all the other options there are to watch. He says the ratings reflect, you know, they're positive. They're, they're good for what it is. And he says, you know, they'll probably never see ratings like they did in the Monday Night Wars just because the market is different now and things have changed. And, of course, they also went into their history, Vince and Austin, and, of course, the Monday Night War and that they had McMahon and Austin, and they talked about just why it was so good and how you couldn't really put anyone else in their shoes. I mean, you could have, but it wouldn't have worked 
like it did with Vince and Austin. Those guys just had a magic, and Vince went into a personal story how, you know, when he was coming up, his father told him, you know, I don't want you to be a wrestler. I want you to be a businessman. So he was always a businessman. But when it came to the Attitude Era and putting himself in the storylines, he got to play a wrestler. And for Vince, that was always a dream of his. He always wanted to be a wrestler. So to be able to work against Austin and to get into ring, he says it was an unbelievable thrill. And I say thrill because Austin said when you're in that ring, it's like you're high. He says when you're in that ring and you're competing, it's like you're shooting up and you're just feeling that adrenaline. And Vince just said, well, it's like a thrill. Vince kept it very PG, which, uh, you know, you can understand. But Austin was just, you know, Austin was great. Anytime you hear Austin, whether it's on his actual podcast podcast, you know, he holds nothing back. He's uncensored. On the network, he did censor himself. He tried to, you know, play it calm. But for the most part, he was still entertaining as hell. I think that one hour and 15 minutes uh, live podcast between Vince and Austin was the highlight of the night. I mean, Monday Night Raw was three hours, and I can't remember anything that was really worthwhile on Raw. But that podcast, the podcast was amazing. It had something for everyone, something for longtime fans, something for fans of the Attitude Era, something about fans modern day, concerns about Savage, concerns about the street, concerns about punk. I mean, the podcast for the most part had something for everyone. They touched about everything. You know, did Austin grill McMahon? I don't think he grilled McMahon, but at the same time, I do think they got over everything that fans wanted to know about. If you had a question that you could ask Vince, I think for the most part, Austin asked that question. Did he ask it and throw him softballs? I think he tried to make it feel as authentic and raw as possible, and I think it just it just ended up in a really great show. The feedback was uh, phenomenal. I heard from uh, you know people online on Twitter, even the re- response from people within the industry, other wrestlers who tuned in to the podcast said it was great. Uh, Jim Ross just uh, released a, a blog about what he thought of the podcast. So everybody, for the most part, had nothing but great things to say about the Vince McMahon, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin show. So it was really worth the listen. If you have the network, you should definitely check it out. It's worth uh, listening to if, if you have the network. It was a really great uh, show. Yeah, and uh, it makes you wonder if they have a, a deal going between uh, the company of the podcast company and uh, the WWE network. I'm sure there's some kind of agreement. So each company gets, you know, plugged. Oh, yeah. Depending on how successful it is, they might do more of these, which, I mean, I think this was great, and I hope it does lead to more, because it's a coup for the network, because obviously they want to have people tuning into these things. So what better way? And Austin is a company guy, you know, so I think we'll see a lot more of this. Uh, no question. Last night was Monday Night Raw, and uh, once give us the audience uh, a raw recap. Well, of course, uh, Monday Night Raw, you have another. This is what Austin was talking about in the podcast, how you have these kind of like 15-minute segments that sometimes run too long. They kicked off the show this time with the anonymous general manager. And the anonymous general manager, you know, Michael Cole is ringside and he's reading from the laptop. And, you know, 
it's just it's something that's played its course. We've seen it before, and that they're going back to the well, which you know makes me wonder: are, are they running out of ideas? Do they not know a new creative way to bring in a new general manager? That they're going back to the anonymous general manager. But John Cena comes out, interrupts the laptop, and he actually closes it, and he talks, uh, you know, just about how he, you know, while he might make bad jokes or whatever. You know he's not. Uh, he's here to to finally do something new, and they wanna they wanna hear what's gonna happen. Who's this real general manager? And then of course Seth Rollins interrupts John Cena, and of course he has his J and J security, which is Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury with him. And at this point now, Seth Rollins is kind of saying, "Well, you're here hogging the spotlight. You're saying how your team uh, defeated the Authority when really it wasn't you." It was Sting and Dolph Ziggler, and that you're taking their credit. So he's saying that, you know, Cena's a glory hound. He's always out for himself. And then Rollins really kind of laid into him. This was probably the only part I really liked about uh, the whole beginning was Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins was hot. He was angry. He wanted the authority back in position. And, of course, the stipulation is that only John Cena can bring the authority back. So John goes, well, if you want me to bring the authority back, how about you ask nicely? So then Seth goes, will you please bring the authority back? So then Cena, of course, goes, how about you go on your knees and say you want uh, the authority back? And by this time, corporate or concessions Kane runs in, Kane chokeslams Cena. Now all of a sudden you have all the teams coming out. Ryback comes in. Eric Rowan comes in. The Big Show. Dolph Ziggler comes in. And uh, even J&J Security comes in, so you have basically Team Cena and Team Authority all in the ring again. I mean, I thought this was like something you would see just before a pay-per-view when they have everyone just rushing and battling out and how they close the show. But this is actually how they were opening the show. And it ended up where, of course, Team Authority got the better. They outnumbered uh, John Cena and Ziggler and Ryback. And Seth Rollins... And Noble and Mercury actually did the shield power bomb, the triple power bomb, to John Cena through a table. So that was a, that was definitely a way to to end the the, the segment. And of course, uh, nice for any Shield fans. We haven't seen that in a long time. Of course, uh, TLC is coming up pretty soon. They have, I believe, four matches set up. Of course, it's going to be John Cena versus Seth Rollins in a tables match which is why, of course, Rollins put him through a table. But uh, now there's an added stipulation that if John Cena loses at TLC to Seth Rollins, that he will lose being the number one contender to Brock Lesnar's WWE world title. Seth Rollins won't get the title opportunity, which doesn't make sense to me, but the main idea is that if Cena loses, he loses it, and someone else will have to fight for it. So John Cena's number one contendership is on the line at the TLC pay-per-view. So, again, Monday Night Raw continues with a tag team turmoil match, which is actually kind of nice. You know, I like uh, any any of these kind of elimination-style matches. And it basically started out where Goldust and Cody Rhodes, who Stardust, were finally in the ring with the New Day. Now, the New Day, if you're not familiar with uh, this new stable or faction in the WWE, the New Day consists of Xavier Woods, 
Kofi Kingston, and Big E. And what people may not know is they actually debuted Friday. So if you're thinking this was their big debut, it actually wasn't. They actually debuted on SmackDown, which is kind of funny because what was SmackDown this past Friday? Well, it was Black Friday. So you can take that as you will. But, uh, again, New Day on Monday Night Raw, and unfortunately, they lost. They lost. Their big debut on SmackDown had a nice outing, and here on Monday Night Raw, you figure the eyes are really going to be on them. They're probably going to get a nice big push. Everyone's going to be really excited for them, and they lost. They lost to Cody Rhodes and Stardust, so they're the first team out of... Yeah, they're the first team out of the tag team turmoil match. So now the match continues where Stardust and uh, Goldust take on the next team to come out. Because, like I said, this is an elimination-style match. When one team is eliminated, another team comes down the aisle. So the next team to come down uh, uh, the aisle was Cesaro and uh, Tyson Kidd. And uh, it was actually kind of an interesting pairing to see uh, Cesaro and Tyson Kidd. Now, actually... I I don't know if they're going to be a full-time tag team or whatever. This is just a one-time deal to fill the, the tag team roster. But I think it could be a good pairing just because you have Cesaro, who the WWE doesn't know what to do with, and you have Tyson Kidd, who for the most part the WWE doesn't really know what to do with, yet they're two excellent wrestlers, genuine wrestlers. You have Tyson Kidd, who's got the speed. You've got Cesaro, who's got the strength. Whenever you have, like, a power and speed uh, combination, that usually always spells a formula for success. But, uh, you know, the Tyson Kidd and, and the Cesaro, they advanced. They made it to the next uh, the round of the tag team turmoil. They took on the Usos. And, of course, the Usos came in, and the Usos eliminated Cesaro and Kidd. So I thought, well, there goes Cesaro and Kidd now. So now the Usos are in the final, final match of this uh, turmoil series. And they went up against, I'm sure this is Dominic's favorite, they went up against Adam Rose and the Bunny. So here we have Adam Rose and the Bunny with an opportunity to be the number one contenders to the tag team titles to go on and face Miz and Miz Dow at the TLC pay-per-view. But Dominic can, uh, can get a sign of relief here because they didn't win. The Usos eliminated Adam Rose and the Bunny. The Adam Rose and the Bunny had a bit of a mix-up. And the Usos got the win. And uh, the Usos will be facing uh, the Miz and Damian Mizdow at the TLC pay-per-view for the tag team title. So that's uh, uh, that should be a, a good match. And uh, also, there was a very interesting moment where Naomi was watching the tag match. They showed Naomi backstage. She was watching the tag match. Of course, for anyone who's a fan of Total Divas, they know that Naomi is married to Jimmy Uso of the Usos. So it was actually one of the first times on television that they actually kind of paired them together where you saw, oh, well, Naomi actually kind of has a concern. She cares about the Usos because, well, if you watch Total Divas, you know she's married to Jimmy Uso. So it's kind of the first time they really brought that up to attention. So there's a reason why they did that, and that would happen later. But next up we saw the new and improved Fandango taking on Jack Swagger. At least he was supposed to take Jack Swagger, but uh, Zeb Coulter, for some reason, got taken out backstage. And, of course, Jack Swagger was by his side, so Jack Swagger forfeited 
his match with the new and improved Fandango. Fandango got the the win just by forfeit, so he celebrated. Then, of course, Rusev came out, so now we're assuming that Rusev was maybe the one who attacked Zeb Coulter backstage. And, of course, Rusev came out with Lana. They bring the Russian flag down. And then that's when Jack Swagger just stormed into the ring, and they had this brawl going. So Jack Swagger is brawling with Rusev, so I'm pretty sure that somehow we'll see them on the TLC pay-per-view as well. Now, next up we saw this was a, a match between Damian Mizdow and Fernando of uh, Los Matadors. So the Miz was actually ringside, of course, with the announcers, with Michael Cole, with JBL, with Jerry Lawler. And Miz was talking, of course, about how he gave uh, some advice to Naomi earlier in the show and that he gave her uh, a card to get in touch with his agents and his people, and he's going to make Naomi a star. So by this time now, here comes Jimmy Uso. He just comes down the ring, goes to the announce position, looks at the Miz, slaps the taste out of his mouth and says, stay away from my wife, and he walks away. <laughs> that to me was, that was the best part of the entire show. Three hours of Monday Night Raw, and the best part of the show, to me personally, was that moment. Jimmy Uso, who for the most part is in the tag team division, you know, the tag team division not always highlighted. You know, a lot of people don't give the tag division enough credit or the guys who work so hard and they say, oh, the tag division is weak, it's boring, and blah, blah, blah. Here comes Jimmy Uso coming down, slaps the crap. I mean, you just had to see it to really appreciate it. It was just great. Again, it was one of those moments that everyone on social media was talking about how hard Jimmy Uso just slapped The Miz while The Miz was doing commentary. It was just a great moment just because it was believable. You believe Jimmy Uso that he hated and wanted to beat the holy crap out of The Miz for approaching his wife. It was probably the highlight of the night, in my opinion. But uh, the match between Miz Dow and Fernando, of course, Miz Dow, shockingly, Damian Miz Dow got the submission, got the tap out by the figure four leg lock. And that must be the first time in years that anyone has actually tapped out to the figure four leg lock. I know Ric Flair likes to make a joke saying that, you know, he did the figure four leg lock and he couldn't beat anybody. And now here's Damian Sandow as a Miz Dow, and he actually got someone to tap out via the figure four leg lock. So it was just kind of a really kind of a fun moment. But uh, next up we saw, of course, Bray Wyatt just kind of demolishing our truth our truth we haven't seen in a while just kind of came back and he's fighting bray wyatt bray wyatt uh the match unfortunately felt very cold uh it felt very cold in the sense that bray wyatt really no heat with our truth our truth who hasn't always been on television the last few weeks and now he's in and he has this just unfortunately just a cold match uh, and it, it was hard for a lot of the people to get into it but you know bray wyatt did his usual you know stick and uh, he gave uh, his usual, you know, promo, uh, and uh, he was uh, he had a ladder set up in the middle of the ring, and he gave one of those dark and you know very cryptic promos that he usually does, and uh, just addressing Dean Ambrose because Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose have a match at TLC in which it will be a TLC match, a tables, ladders, and chairs match. Uh, Bray Wyatt, Dean Ambrose. These two guys, everything should just be 
uh, very chaotic. This would be a really great um, brawl because, of course, their match uh, last month at Survivor Series, you know, it was all right. It was good. I think the end was better when Bray, uh, when Dean kind of took the chairs and the ladder and the table, he just dumped it all on Bray Wyatt, of course, leading up to this TLC match. So I'm hoping their TLC match really delivers and they go all out. We, of course, had a Divas tag match where Nikki and her sister Bree would take on AJ Lee and the WWE audience could go on the app and vote for who AJ's partner would be. And they could vote for Natty, they could vote for Naomi, or they could vote for Alicia Fox. And I believe Naomi won, you know, hands down with 48% of the votes. So Naomi was her partner, and of course uh, there were very few, you know, of course CM Punk chants like usual, never AJ's out there. But uh, Naomi and AJ got the win. Of course, AJ did the Black Widow submission, and I think it might have been Nikki. So now AJ just beat Nikki in the ring. She got her to tap out. So I'm I'm assuming, I mean, I assume you, you beat the champion. That should make you one of the top contenders. So we probably will see AJ and Nikki Bella at TLC for the Divas title. And, of course, now they have a promo of Paul Heyman, good old Paulie. Paulie was in Connecticut at the studios talking about Brock Lesnar. He was talking about the new stipulation at TLC. If Seth Rollins can beat John Cena, now John Cena loses the opportunity to face Brock Lesnar. And, uh, you know, they talked about that. They talked about how Brock Lesnar doesn't like Seth Rollins after he gave him the curb stop and almost cashed in money in the bank. So, I mean, it was just something that it went by really quick and Again, there's no Brock Lesnar, and from what I understood, they were heavily promoting Brock Lesnar to appear next week on Raw at the Slammy Awards. They have a celebrity, Seth Green, will be, I don't know if he'll be hosting the Slammy Awards segment, or he'll just be the guest general manager like he was before, but Seth Green will be on Raw next week, and it will be the Slammy Awards show. But Brock Lesnar, who was advertised for the Slammy Awards in December, is suddenly no longer appearing on the show. Apparently they're pulling him from Raw. I don't know why. I don't know why Brock's not going to be there after they said he was. But for whatever reason, Brock will not be on next week's uh, Slammy Awards uh, December 8th. Instead, they said that Brock will be at the December 15th Raw. So I don't know what they have planned there. He's supposed to be doing a few more dates in December, maybe December 29th. He has a, a couple dates in January before the Rumble. So we'll see whether or not our uh, WWE World Heavyweight Champion will be on television or not. But uh, of, of course, the main event for Raw was a six-man tag. Dolph Ziggler, John Cena, Ryback against Rollins, Kane, and Luke Harper. And it was a good match. I mean, it was okay. And uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember. Like I said, it was such a, a blur because it was really hard because you were tuning out. And unfortunately, you know, it was just, uh, it just, you know, there were so many commercial breaks. And a lot of people were complaining about the commercial breaks. And there was one point Ryback did a suplex. They did a, they cut into a commercial while he was doing a vertical suplex. And by the time it came wow. back, 
I don't know if he was still doing the suplex or not, but here he was doing another suplex. And it was just, there were so many commercials that I just kind of lost. I didn't change the channel, believe it or not. I stayed, I watched the main event, but honestly, there was nothing really worthwhile, you know, that happened that was memorable. I know Dolph Ziggler got the win. You know, Team Cena was celebrating in the ring. And, of course, then they went straight into the Austin McMahon podcast. So, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give Raw? Well, like I said, for me personally, the highlight was Jimmy Uso. Jimmy Uso, in my opinion, sold the show, something I didn't expect. I really liked uh, his fight. He was so fired up. You know, the main event, I like Dolph Ziggler. It seems that they're trying to push Ryback. You know, Cena's the same. You know, it's just, I... It wasn't that good of a Raw, unfortunately. I did like the tag team turmoil. Anytime, like I said, they do elimination style, I enjoy it. But for this, you know, I would say it wasn't even an average show. I mean, I would I would give it maybe a, a four. You know, I didn't I didn't like it. Not so good, huh? I, I well, uh, let's hope let's hope next week Lamy um, Awards live will be better. So we can only open the fray that that will be better. But in the meantime, I want I want to play this clip. It, it involved John Cena, and uh, should he cut? Pardon me here. It involves John Cena. Should John Cena cut the comedy? Let's take a listen and talk about it on the other. The two themes of this show on Monday night both revolved around John Cena, as everything does in WWE. Number one, John Cena sucks at comedy. Uh, now, a- actually, I take that back. I take that back. I am willing to bet that John Cena is actually very good at comedy when scripted by somebody else. So those two movies he's in next year that are coming out, I bet he's really funny in those movies. When WWE scripts comedy for John Cena, he really, really sucks. It's bad enough that we have to sit through his comedy every single week, like we did at the end of this show. Now, they're replaying his comedy bits from a year ago. That's what they did in the opening segment. We finally see some actual storyline consistency from this company, but it's John Cena comedy that they decide to show us from last year with the Ryback stuff. I guess be careful what you wish for. Uh, But the second thing that was made abundantly clear this week, and I've been saying this for months, Okay, maybe years on this podcast. If you are a friend of John Cena's, and Zack Ryder found this out the hard way, if you're a friend of John Cena's on television, if you are partners with John Cena, you're on your own. Best of luck, pal. Best of luck. That's all I can say. Don't expect him to come save you when the odds are stacked against you. This guy has built a team for Survivor Series to take on the authority. Dolph Ziggler is getting his ass kicked. The Big Show is laying there unconscious in a pool of sweat. Sheamus ends up in the hospital as a result. And no John Cena to be found. Perhaps he's running late to the building, doing Snatch, or whatever the fuck it is that he does at the gym that he's always tweeting about. Oh no, because a couple of segments later, there he is, backstage, watching intently on a widescreen. Thank God he's only a wrestler. Imagine all of the lives that would be lost 
if John Cena was a cop or a fireman or a lifeguard, you know how many people would drown each year? If Cena really was Superman, like people say he is, okay, Zod would win and the movie would be over in 15 minutes. It's it's just... And then we had the main event segment, which was supposed to be a contract signing. Although, interestingly enough, there was no contract signed. And I don't know if that's going to play into things if, let's say, the Authority does lose its Survivor Series and they say, well, we never signed the contract and that's our loophole to get out of this whole thing. I would hope not. That would be a cheap way to, to kind of worm your way out of that whole thing. But interestingly enough, it was a contract signing without any contracts being signed. Uh, this segment I was not a fan of until the end. It, it got it got better at the end when they started doing the reveal of you know the different members of Team Cena came back out. But oh my God! I mean, until that point, you heard some of it at the top of the podcast. I played some of the audio. They they decided to go the comedy route. Now the last time they decided to go the comedy route for a Survivor Series main event was Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and John Cena in a three way that actually, if I remember, turned out to be a pretty good match. And it had that uh, that great open where as soon as the bell rang, Sean super kicked Triple H out of the ring. It was like the shocking moment nobody saw coming. The match itself was good, but the build-up to that match was horrendous. You had three of the biggest stars in the company ever, not, let alone at that time, fighting for the world championship, and they built it up on comedy with Hornswoggle every single week. It was a fucking joke. And that Survivor Series did such a horrible buy rate that for a, a certain period of time in 2010, there was no Survivor Series. Vince McMahon was like, that's it, take it off the schedule. Uh, for a while there, it said TBA to be announced on the pay-per-view schedule where Survivor Series was supposed to be because he canceled the show. And then he came to his senses, he got talked out of it, and Survivor Series lived on. But it's like, why do you think the show did so bad? Gee, I wonder. When you build a main event around fucking comedy with a midget, I wonder why your pay-per-view didn't do well. And so here we are. They've been building this thing up like the invasion from 2001 where everything is on the line here. Triple H actually did a pretty good job earlier cutting a promo about the importance of this match and what it means. And, you know, he and Stephanie are going to lose their jobs if Team Authority doesn't win and all of this stuff. And now they've added the stipulation about the firing, too, but... This match is supposed to be taken seriously. Everything is at stake here, and they decide to do comedy. They decide to have John Cena do comedy. That wasn't funny. Nobody was laughing. Nobody was reacting. He, it, it, It's cringeworthy when they give him this material to go out there with. And why he doesn't speak up and say something, I'll never know. What a team player this guy is. Would it be so bad to say this stuff sucks? I'll come up with something better. Maybe maybe it is. Maybe maybe it's his idea. Maybe he does come up with something better, and that's what he comes up with. I don't know. I wish I knew. I wish I knew who is responsible for this, this awful comedy. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that that's how they're building this match. So when they came back and all of a sudden John Cena got all serious, it was like, eh, who cares? Who cares? It's a fucking joke, right? So why should I care? But then they did the reveals, and Ziggler came out there, and Big Show came out there, and they did the Eric Rowan entrance, which I actually thought was very well done because they showed Luke Harper's face, and Harper had this like shocked look on his face, and the people actually reacted to Eric Rowan. I think it was more, uh, it was a, it was a genuine surprise, and they liked the idea of Harper against Rowan. Uh, I don't know how long that feeling of euphoria for Eric Rowan will last. Probably not very long, but on this night, people loved it. Um, 
it, it, and, you know, look, they did the thing with Cesaro where he came out and it looked like he was going to join Team Cena, only he was like, no, 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 no. And it was like he was trolling. And then he vanished. I thought maybe they were adding him to the match. They were going to make it six on five. Nope. He just kind of disappeared. They had a big brawl and Cesaro was nowhere to be found. Ryback was the last guy, of course, who came out. And uh, to end the show, we had John Cena delivering an attitude adjustment to Triple H through a table. And that is how they went off the air. All right, JJ, what's your thoughts on the Solomon the, the podcast show? Well, you know, most of the time I, I agree with him. I think uh, he makes a lot of excellent points. But, uh, you know, he's blaming John Cena for the bad comedy. And that, as, he, as he did point out, though, it's not necessarily Cena's fault. you got these writers that are writing the scripts for him. They're telling him, you know, what to say. And, you know, he's just doing his job. So it's hard to put the fault solely, you know, on Cena when it's really the writers. And this was something that they talked about on the podcast with Vince and Austin. And it's the WWE's demographic. Of course, the show's PG now. And, of course, now they got kids between, you know, two all the way up to 11 years old that are watching the WWE. They got teenagers. They got young adults. They got, even Vince pointed out, there are men that are my age, 69 years old, that watch the WWE, and he has to do something for everyone. So while we don't necessarily enjoy the silly comedy, you know, stuff that they do, there are probably little kids that get a kick out of it and they enjoy it. You know, I'm not a little kid, so I can't tell you yes. Oh, I loved it. Cena was so funny. He had me in stitches. No, it, it, it didn't work. Sometimes, you know, I think Cena, if he had the opportunity to be Cena, if you had the opportunity to maybe write his own, people often talk about the whole thing when he was, you know, the doctor of Suganomics, and he was the one who was writing a lot of those raps because it was his idea, it was his character, and it was something that he's very passionate about rapping. So he was doing a lot of that back then, and then, of course, the W writers then tried doing it, and people kind of lost interest, and they kind of lost interest in Cena, and a lot changed back then. So now, like I said, you fast forward to now, again, can't blame John Cena 100%. Not his fault. It's bad material. No matter who writes it, you know, what's bad is bad. I mean, I'm not a little kid. Like I said, I can't tell you this is great. Maybe if you talk to a little kid who was watching in the audience or at home, maybe they ate it up. Maybe they thought it was hilarious. But, again, this is WWE trying to make everybody happy, and it's hard because there are so many different ages that watch the show, whether they're a kid, whether they're a teenager in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, it's hard to make everybody happy. You're going to disappoint a lot of people. And right now, since the show is PG, their main concern is trying to stay within that family guideline. So they don't want to go, they don't want to cross that line because, again, they have advertisers, they have sponsors, they have these wholesome companies that are putting their money into the product so they can do commercials and they don't want to do something that's too risque. So it's, it's very difficult. But, again, the stuff with Cena not helping out his partners, again, is this John Cena's problem? I mean, is John Cena supposed to run out during every segment of every match? The people are already sick of him. And now you want more John Cena coming out and helping out these guys? That's not John Cena's fault. Again, that's the writers. The writers are writing this garbage, and it doesn't make sense because we – while adults have brains that actually think and say, well, why isn't the captain of this team helping out his boys? It makes sense to us if John Cena came out, lend a helping hand. Why isn't Cena out there? It doesn't make sense. 
not John Cena's fault. If you know, he can't run out every segment. It's the writers who don't want him to come out there. They want Team Cena to look like underdogs or whatever. They're always getting their ass kicked. They have no chance in hell. It's all just a part of the script and the storyline, and there's nothing really John can do about it. Could he argue? Could he be like a CM Punk and say, hey, this writing's bullshit. This sucks. I want something better. I don't like this. It doesn't make sense. John Cena could do that if he wanted to, but then he could ruffle feathers. They might not want to write for him. They might, you know, it's it's a very weird and complicated, all the politics and backstage, it's very difficult to get into. So John Cena, he does what he's told. He's happy. He doesn't have any problems. They're pushing him to the moon. He's the poster boy. Why is he going to complain? He's got the best job in the world. He's the number one guy there. Why would he argue? You know, maybe if it was really serious, maybe he would. I mean, uh, that's something we'll talk about maybe in Punk's podcast. He said there are very few guys in the WWE that will stand up to the system. He said he was one of the number one guys. He had the balls to come up to them if he didn't like something. He said John Cena has the balls to go up to them if he doesn't like something. He even said Randy Orton was one of the few guys who would at least ask questions and say, hey, I don't like this or I want to know more about this. There are very few guys because everyone's walking on eggshells. Everyone has that childhood dream that, oh, I wanted to be a wrestler, I wanted to be in the WWE, and I don't want to lose my spot, I don't want to upset the writers, I don't want to upset Vince, I, don't want, to, I want to just do my job and be happy where I am and just stay where I am. And unfortunately, the product suffers, and unfortunately, the fans suffer. So that's why we're seeing a lot of this. doesn't make sense to us, but that's the way the writers chose for it to be. Vince has the final decision. He ex- he accepted it, so we're all stuck with it. There's really nothing more we can do about it. There's nothing Cena could do about it. That's that's just the way the cookie crumbles, unfortunately. But uh, as he did point out, uh, I we talked about it here on King Jordan Radio. I was a huge fan of the fact that uh, Eric Rowan was a surprise on uh, Team Cena. Didn't see that coming. Luke Harper joined the authority. We figured, okay, Harper's kind of a heel right now. He's kind of saying he's a team player or whatever. I you know, didn't know what the hell they were doing with Eric Rowan. To my surprise, he showed up on Team Cena. So now we got this situation where the two Wyatt family members are face-to-face, and it was huge. It, it gave the fans that big buzz, like, oh, my God, the Wyatt family, they're going to collide. I mean, I think we all remembered when the Shield, uh, you know, when Seth Rollins turned on the Shield, the first match we saw between Ambrose and Rollins, they were really building up to it. They were really establishing the hatred they had for each other, and here we have we have uh, Eric Rowan and uh, Luke Harper, and they're in the ring. They're getting ready to just beat the hell and collide these two mammoths of uh, men. It was a great moment, and then uh, they brought Cesaro out there just to, as he pointed out, to swerve or to troll the fans. We're thinking, oh my God, Cesaro's going to join Team Cena, and then he didn't. So now we're thinking because we have minds, because we're adults who actually think about things that make sense and which things that don't make sense, if you're going to bring Cesaro out there, even if it's just to swerve the fans, which is great, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the big swerve that Cesaro was on Cena, but then he went to the authority and laughed. <laughs> but instead, what happened to Cesaro? He wasn't on Team Authority. I, much like uh, Solomon said, I thought we were going to see maybe a handicap match. Maybe it was going to be a six-on-five at Survivor Series. Maybe they're going to really stack the odds against uh, Team Cena. That didn't happen. Instead, Cesaro came out there, and they didn't know what the hell to do with him, much like they talked about on the podcast with Vince and Austin. 
And we didn't see Cesaro on the pay-per-view. We didn't see Cesaro after that. So, again, it's the WWE writers who they're not thinking things through. They're just trying to spit out as much television as they can. I'm sure they got the most difficult job in the world. I wouldn't want it. It can't be easy to do to write three hours of live television every week, not including main event and, you know, SmackDown and God knows what else they do programming-wise. But it's just it's something that we're not always going to win. And as Vince even said, sometimes you're going to have a hit, and most often you're going to have a miss. It's just the way the business works. I uh, couldn't agree with you more. Um, our next segment is going to be about Zack Ryder. But before we do that, this Thursday we're going to have Florida prosecutor Stacey Honowitz, who prosecutes sex crimes. She will be here 9 Eastern, uh, 6 Pacific, and she will talk about the Bill Cosby situation, also on the Adrian Peterson situation. So don't miss that coming up this Thursday night. Okay, in this next clip, uh, caller wants to know on that show, uh, what's up with Zach Ryder? Let's take a listen and talk about him on the other side. This next audio question comes to us from Eric Cormier. How's it going, Solomonster? This is your Podbean.com brother, Eric Cormier, one half of the Beanholes podcast. I've been a long-time listener, supporter. I'm wearing my Eat, Sleep, Sound Off, Repeat t-shirt right now, but this is the first time I'm asking you a question. For me as a fan, 2011 was an exciting year. With the return of The Rock and the rise of CM Punk and Zack Ryder, as a fan, it felt important to watch every week and to get involved with these things. On Zack Ryder's case, the man who got clearly over with the fans because of his internet show started making products on the WWE shop. For a time, it actually was really popular, and even Mattel, working as their own company, started making more Zack Ryder products. I mean, the guy got a brawling buddy, for Christ's sake, and the other brawling buddies were John Cena, The Rock, and Randy Orton. He was up there. Why would the company want to throw away any extra money they had? I understand the idea that they want to create their superstars, but what in their head could possibly get in the way of even making a little bit of extra money? Spite. <laughs> They're a spiteful company. I mean, you said it yourself. If they didn't create it, then they're never going to put their full backing behind it. It's got to be a, a WWE idea. It's why they haven't used the War Games match, I'm sure, you know, for, for many, many years, even though it's probably been pitched to Vince and we've never gotten it. Why? Well, it wasn't a WWE creation. We don't need it. We can do bigger and better than that. A guy like a Zack Ryder, believe me, he was never going to get a big push. He made his push happen. He made it happen on his own. They had no choice but to run with it a little bit because the the fan support was just overwhelming. So he got a U.S. title run out of it, and he sold some merchandise. And then after a while, when the fan support started to die down because he was getting his ass kicked on television every week, and then the stuff with John Cena, and he ended up in a body cast, I don't know that that was done on purpose to kill his crowd reactions. You know what? Maybe it was. It, it wouldn't surprise me uh, that they wanted to bring the fans down a few notches. They never looked at him as being anybody that they can really make money off of, like significant money. And so why are we going to waste our time with this guy? We have a finite amount of television every single week to dedicate to our roster and to the guys who we think we can do something with, which is comical. I mean, even back when the show was two hours, it's not like they didn't have the time to push Zack Ryder as something, you know, something meaningful as a mid-card performer. I never, ever saw Zack Ryder as a main event guy. With or without that gimmick. Some guys are not main event caliber. And and I'm sorry, Zack Ryder is not a main event guy. 
I never expected him to be a main event guy, but could they have gone further with him? Of course. Why wouldn't they? Well, like I said, spite. The only logical explanation for it. And it's not like we, we haven't heard stories before about how spiteful people in that company can be, and the politics and everything else. And maybe through his YouTube videos and his tweets and complaints, maybe he pissed off the wrong person. And sometimes that's all it takes. You piss off the wrong person. It doesn't even have to be Vince. It could be one of his, his trusted soldiers. It could be an agent. It could be Michael Hayes. It could be Triple H. It could be anybody. And once you're on the shit list or in the doghouse, that's not a good place to be. So even if they can make some money off you, unless it's like an unbelievable amount of money that we absolutely, we can't turn down this money. We have to, we have to push this guy. We absolutely cannot turn down the money that USA is giving us for that third hour of Raw, even though I bet you they would love to get rid of that third hour of Raw. But they do it because USA makes it worth their while. Whatever money they would have made off Zack Ryder, I guess, wasn't worth their while. And to them, it just wasn't worth it. Do I agree with that? Of course not. I think it's stupid. I think there was so much more juice you could have gotten out of that guy before you discarded him. But that's how they do things. JJ, I think you have a lot to say with, in regards to this clip. What's your thoughts on this? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, as Solomon pointed out, you know, I, I, this is one scenario where I do agree with him uh, again. Uh, right now, Zach's hurt. He's out of action. But back then, in 2002, of course, he started his uh, long ice, the uh, long Z. He did his YouTube channel show, which for the life of me, I forget. But it became a huge success. It was something he did independently. The company wasn't pushing for it. They didn't even know what the hell YouTube was. If you can imagine that, now that's all they do, YouTube, they do social media. But back then, you're talking 2011, 2012, when this was starting to come up, Zach was really hot among the internet wrestling community. Fans were flocking to his YouTube channel because it was his creation. It was his creative ideas. It was him having fun. Can you imagine that? Going out there and having fun at your job and doing what you love. That's Zack Ryder. He's a guy who's always loved wrestling. He's a guy that if you follow him on Twitter, he'll post uh, tweets of action figures that he collected when he was a kid. Brawling buddies, stuff of like Hogan and Macho when he was a kid. He's a genuine, legit fan of the WWE. Not just wrestling. He was a legit fan of the WWE. I don't know if there's a bigger fan in that company than Zack Ryder. So he was having fun on his YouTube channel, having guys who don't even work for the company on his show and just having fun, just screwing around. He would have sort of like he'd book his own wrestling or whatever. He would have his own kind of character that's really goofy, you know, Long Island, the Jersey Shore stuff. He was really having a lot of fun with that. He created his own championship because he couldn't get one in the WWE. They couldn't give him a title then. So what did he do? He bought his own belt. He bought the Internet Championship, put the, the Twitter logo on it, the Facebook logo on it, the YouTube logo. He did his own shtick, and what a shock. People took to it. They enjoyed it. It was fun. The WWE finally for whatever reason, caught wind of this and said, hey, he's getting noticed. Hey, people keep asking us about Zack Ryder. There was starting to be, I don't want to say a, a revolution, but uh, you know, fans, especially when you went over to New York or if you went over to Long Island where he's from or you know, Buffalo, New York, anywhere East Coast-wise, the fans would chant, we want Ryder. They wanted Zack Ryder. So, of course, the company, and supposedly Vince likes to tout how we give the fans what they want. I'm always listening to them. I'm in touch with the audience. Well, they couldn't ignore Zack Ryder anymore. 
So they did give him maybe not a gigantic push, but again, back when Punk dropped his infamous pipe bomb in 2011, he wanted change. And in 2012, or the late 2011, we got maybe not a huge monumental change. Things didn't necessarily change inside the works of the WWE, but we got guys like Punk as the WWE champion, Daniel Bryan, the world champion, and little Zack Ryder. Zack Ryder, the boy with the dream, is the now United States champion. He won the company's uh, title, and suddenly the fans are behind him. They got merchandise, T-shirts. They mentioned the Mattel figures. Hell, I couldn't even go to a Toys R Us and find a Zack Ryder figure. They were off the shelves. It was a hot item. You know, Zack Ryder, had a, he had some popularity going for him. Then they're booking him in these goofy matches. They're kind of squashing his momentum. He's fighting Kane. Kane kind of choke slams him, and now he's in a wheelchair. He's kind of has this relationship with Eve Torres, and Eve Torres is apparently cheating on him with John Cena because everything eventually comes back to John Cena. So now Eve Torres turns heel. She dumps Zack Ryder. Ryder loses the United States title. And, I mean, what's left for the guy to do? I mean, they took him off television to sell the, the injury to Kane. I don't know if Kane pushed him down the stairs or threw him off the stage. He's in a wheelchair, for God's sake. What more can he do? And I think even on his YouTube channel, he was in a wheelchair on the YouTube channel, and he was making fun of it. He was just kind of having fun. But then the WWE wanted him to do uh, what they wanted. They were going to take control of his uh, YouTube thing, and they were going to write uh, scenarios for him. And then guess what? Zack Ryder's not having any fun anymore. And then Zack Ryder just completely cuts the show off. He ends the show. And, uh, you know, to the wrestling fans, they don't care, you know, if you win, if you lose. Yeah, it's always great when your favorite wrestler wins. But if you're a real wrestling fan, as long as you see a good match, as long as you get good entertainment, you know, you're, you're happy. You're happy with just that. But to the casual audience, which the WWE likes to be its you know, t- uh, demographic, again, they're trying to uh, apply and appeal to the casual fan who maybe is concerned with, oh, I want my guy to win, and Ooh, who's winning, who's hot, who's you know undefeated. They care about that. They, when a guy loses every week, every week his stock drops and the fans lose interest. Why do I want to cheer this guy if he's losing every week? Why do I want to cheer this guy if he's in a damn wheelchair and he can't even friggin' wrestle? So unfortunately, that's what happened with Zack Ryder. The fans kind of lost interest. He did have a little momentum boost. At least he could say, hey, I competed at WrestleMania. He, I, I don't know if his team lost. It was that whole, I don't know if it was that John Laurinaitis, uh, Teddy Long, Raw versus SmackDown thing. At least he was at WrestleMania. He did compete, and that was, I think, when uh, Eve Torres turned on him. She kicked him in the nuts, and that was his WrestleMania moment. Congrats. But uh, it's just really sad because, again, like Solomon said, and this was something that Punk discussed on on Colt Cabana's Art of Wrestling podcast, he said when the WWE gets an idea from a talent – they like to take that idea and they twist it and they try to make it their own. They don't always like it when a guy, and again, this is Punk's opinion now, but I think a lot of fans have this opinion as well, as Solomon pointed out. And that interview with Solomon happened before uh, Punk did his podcast. 
but it's just something that we've all noticed as fans. When something comes in, if something's really hot, you know, we talked about Goldberg from WCW, the NWO from WCW, they come into the WWE, WWE tries to make it their own, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. WWE took Zack Ryder, who was making his own momentum, he was grabbing the brass rings as best as he could. Again, Solomon pointed out, you know, maybe you're not going to see Zack Ryder main eventing WrestleMania or main eventing with the world heavyweight title, but you just wanted to see him do better than what he was. And before, he wasn't even on Monday Night Raw. He would go on Twitter and maybe piss off some people, but he would go and say, hey, guys, catering is really great today. Catering. I mean, you're expecting to see him on Raw, but he's not on Raw. He's busy at catering because they have no plans for him. They don't know what to do with him. So maybe he pissed off some people. I don't know. But it's just a shame guys like Zack Ryder and other guys, hardworking guys, guys who are legit fans of the business, legit WWE fans. This is his dream job, and he doesn't have anything to do. And it, it, it just sucks. Now, what's your thoughts with the Zack Ryder situation, Blackjack? Well, he had his run. He wasn't a hundred percent WWE entertainment creation, and that's why you saw him uh, didn't get to the heights as he could have gone. You know, that's my feeling on it. Do you think uh, JJ, if he would have been kept around long enough, that he would have possibly got? Uh, a title, or even the world title? Do you think that's a possibility? Isn't, isn't, isn't he still there in the WWE? He's still there. I mean, right now he's hurt, so he's not on television. But yeah. I don't know if he would be, a, a, like I said, could he be a world champion someday? Not as the character he is now. Not as, you know, Long Island, Ice-Z with the Jersey Shore, woo-woo-woo, you know it. I can't see that mm-hmm. character as a world champion, as the WWE world champion, especially now when there's only one world title, you don't have two, you have one world title, and I can't see that character as the world champion. Maybe if he reinvented himself, maybe if he got a little edgier, but it's hard to get edgier because the show's PG. What could they really do? So I don't know. Uh, that character, unfortunately, no. I don't think he could have been a world champion could he have gotten another run at the United States champion? Could he have been an intercontinental champion, a tag team champion? I think no question, but for whatever reason, he had his run, like Blackjack said, and he just, uh, after after his run, they didn't have any plans for him. They didn't know what to do with him, so they threw him aside. Um, I think he could have been champion. I mean, look at him, have the champion. Yeah. So... It's a, definitely a possibility. Okay, TNA is getting another TNA is getting another shot. Let's take a look to it. TNA will be going on the the other network. Um, I don't know if I have it, but uh, let's listen to this clip and talk about TNA on the other side. Finally, TNA made it official this week. They have announced their new TV deal, and it is with. Destination America, which had been the rumored destination, pun intended, for the last uh, week or two. Discovery, which owns Destination America, has secured the exclusive rights to broadcast what they call in the press release Professional Wrestling's Top League, TNA Impact Wrestling, 
starting in January. They did not give a start date, so we don't know if they're sticking with Wednesdays or not. I'm guessing it'll stay on Wednesdays, but we don't know for sure. The multi-year deal, so it should keep TNA alive for at least another two years. No financial terms were disclosed, obviously, but I can't imagine they're getting as much money from them as they were getting from Spike. I mean, there's just no way. The partnership includes additional TNA series and specials. They don't indicate what those might be, but there may be more weekly shows beyond just Impact. In fact, I think it's a guarantee that there will be. Unfortunately, if you are a Canadian fan of Impact, the move means that you are out of luck. They will not be airing Impact in January up in Canada because of this new deal. However, they are working on a new deal, Dixie Carter said, to keep Impact on there, I guess on a different station. Uh, They're working on it. Hopefully they're not working on it the way that WWE is working on a deal to bring the network to the UK. Otherwise, you guys may be waiting for a while. So our Canadian friends will be without impact for at least a little while. Now here's the deal with Destination America. Okay, Now that it's a done deal, it's, it's signed, sealed, and delivered, they may be available in more homes than Ring of Honor, but Ring of Honor airs on key affiliate stations. Okay, So think of Superstars or Wrestling Challenge back in the day like where I live here in New York, it was on the local Fox affiliate. So it was Channel 5. You put your TV on, it was one of the main stations. It could be the local ABC affiliate in your market. It it, it depends on where you live. You could argue that this puts ROH on the same plane with TNA, maybe even makes them the de facto number two promotion in the country. Uh, Or maybe it's Lucha Underground. You know, they're gaining ground. Their debut show on El Rey only did like 20,000 viewers, which sounds awful, although you have to, everything's relative. So El Rey is, it's a new network. They don't have as big of an audience as a Spike or a USA or even a Destination America, I'm guessing. But I read, I want to say it was in the Observer uh, this week, that the Unimas ratings for Lucha Underground, which aired the Spanish language version of the show on Saturdays, they did over 100,000 viewers for the debut episode. And then the second week, For episode number two, they did 250,000 viewers. That's huge growth. So really, I think it's anyone's game right now as far as who the number two is. Now, whoever the number two is, it's a very, 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 very distant number two. But the battle for number two, I think, you could argue, is wide open. I mean, I, I have Destination America on my cable provider here in New York. I still don't have Ring of Honor television. So for me... TNA is still number two. Plus, it airs in primetime, whereas ROH, I, I don't think, does in many markets. But that may not be the case with all of you. Maybe it does for some of you guys. On the one hand, it's sad to see TNA take a step back with this deal because you can't tell me they're stronger now than they were five years ago. You know, you, you hear that question a lot on job interviews. You know, when I used to go on job interviews, I, I can't tell you how many times I heard that question. Where do you see yourself in five years? And it's such a, a, a bullshit question. I mean, what kind of answer are you supposed to even give? Well, I hope I'm breathing, number one. And number two, I hope I'm making a shit ton of money and I'm living in a fucking mansion somewhere. That's the real answer, but you can't say that. you got to be diplomatic about it. Then don't ask me the question. It, it's such a stupid question, but you, you hear it a lot. Where do you see yourself in five years? And it's sad to think that five years ago, if you would have asked TNA that same question... I don't think they would have expected that they would be in a weaker state now than they were back then. And and that's what makes it so sad. Uh, are they as strong as they were then? They're not, no. On the other hand, the deal keeps them alive. TNA will live to see another day. I don't want to see TNA die. 
I feel like I'm one of the few people left reviewing the show on a weekly basis. That's my choice. If I wanted to end the Impact Review for good, I would do it. And I, I may lose some listeners, maybe, but not a drastic number, a, a fraction of the audience. I do it because I want to. So I hope in the long run things work out for them. They'll get more programming out of it. That's great. But they need to grow their existing audience before adding more programming. And they're not going to start out with the same audience they had on Spike. I don't know if it'll be half, more than half. Maybe they'll only lose two, two or 300,000 viewers if they're lucky. We just don't know. But they're going to have to first build that audience back up before they could even think about adding new viewers. That's not going to be easy. I mean, 12 years later, I think TNA realizes that it's not going to be easy to add new audience, or else they would have done it by now. They would have done it with Hulk Hogan and Sting and Ric Flair and Kurt Angle and Mick Foley and Booker T and Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner and all the big names mixed together with the younger talent like a Joe, like an AJ Styles, like Bobby Roode and Austin Aries. The talent was never really the issue, and they had some of the biggest names in the history of the business, and it did nothing for them. It did nothing for them in the long run. But I made this comment on the podcast a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again now. They have their new TV deal. They may tape TV as early as next month to air in January. They need to lock themselves in a room for a day and map out what they want the future of this company to be over the next 6 to 12 months. And I'm not just talking creative. I'm talking everything, how they approach things, live events, talents they may want to sign, advertising and promotion, which has always been a weak point for them. They may already be doing that. I hope they are. I hope they are, because this is a chance to start fresh. I already heard that they're going to be changing the whole look of impact, logos, graphics, colors. Great, but that has to be part of a larger plan, because guess what? Changing the colors of impact from blue to red and changing the logo all by itself is not going to do shit. It's got to be part of something bigger than that. You want to change the music and the logos? Fine, freshen things up. I wish they would do that on Raw. That's all they do when they freshen things up. They change the music and they change the graphics. The fucking set still looks the same. The basic look of the show still looks the same. And that's why that show is so stale. So, so that's what they need to do. I don't expect them to reset all of their storylines or anything like that, but it's a fresh start on a new network, and it has to have a fresh feel to it. And that doesn't involve bringing Dixie Carter back to television. That's the worst thing they could possibly do. But I have to say this. Dixie Carter was telling her people that this new deal is great because TNA will now be the focal point of the network. And that may well be true. I mean, there probably isn't much else on Destination America. I think they're probably in the clear, yes. I think it's safe to say that TNA will be their, their crown jewel. But that's like being in a room with 300 people and then walking into another room that only has 30 people and saying, hey, now I'm the focal point. Yeah, but you only have 30 people in the room. And whatever they may say publicly, supposedly they never felt they got the full support they really needed from Spike, uh, be it in the form of advertising or whatever. I hope that's not how they really feel. I hope that's just a rumor because it's nonsense, and I don't want to hear it. I mean, it's just another excuse for them to use as far as why they've never grown their brand. Spike TV gave them two hours of primetime television on their network when nobody else would. They moved them to Monday nights. Live, to go head-to-head -head with Raw. They sent Hulk Hogan to a UFC show to talk to Joe Rogan to promote it. 
and they took out giant billboards in some major cities. I think they even took one out in Stanford, down the road from WWE headquarters. I remember seeing the, the big billboards here in New York. Spike reportedly has helped pay for at least a portion of some of the big contracts for guys like Hogan and Sting over the years to keep them with TNA. So I don't want to hear that Spike didn't help TNA and they didn't promote TNA. Spike was more than generous to them. And they got booted off the network because of their own failures. So they need to own up to those failures and learn from them. I don't want to hear this nonsense about, well, we never got the full support that we deserved. I don't want to hear it. So this was the final first-run episode of Impact on Spike TV ever. They are off next week, back on December 3rd, for the first of what should be four, I believe, best-of shows, airing clips from throughout the year 2014. Spike TV President Kevin Kay put a statement out after the Destination America news came out saying that their run will come to an end on the December 24th broadcast. So that is the final, final date of Impact on Spike officially is Christmas Eve. Okay, JJ is a big story and uh, has a lot of twists and turns. But TNA is gone. It's still here. What's your thoughts about the new network and everything that's going on with TNA right now? Well, uh, as uh, Solomon pointed out, tomorrow, if you watch Impact on Spike, December 3rd, they have the best of TNA uh, 2014. Uh, December 10th, they'll have another best of 2014, all the best moments uh, of Impact Wrestling this year. Then following that, December 17th and the 24th, they're doing just a best of TNA's history. They're going to cover you know, everything from the beginning to the end, just the best moments in TNA. And as he pointed out, that December 24th will be the last broadcast on Spike TV. But, uh, I mean, it's good news for TNA. I mean, we were all worried about TNA. What's going to happen after Spike? Were they going to Spike resign? Are they just going to disappear, which nobody hopes? I mean, if if they disappear, will they go out of business? I mean, they could maybe run some house shows. They could do some stuff uh, overseas in the U.K. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's just something that you worry about because, like, like he pointed out, Nobody wants to see TNA go away. Nobody wants to see guys lose their jobs. I mean, it, it's horrible. We, we've already been through that with ECW and WCW. We don't want to go through that with TNA. So when the news came out that uh, Discovery Communications would be picking up TNA and putting them on one of their networks on uh, Desti- Destination America, we thought, well, this is good. They have TV. Uh, maybe they'll be in a few less homes than in Spike TV, but you know, at least they have that network, and it seems that, as he pointed out, Dixie says that, you know, they're going to, Destination America will do everything they can to have TNA be the focal point. Is that a, uh, is that a sister network of the ID network? Uh, Discovery Communications and Destination uh, America are the sister channels to Discovery, to the Animal Planet, to TLC, to uh, the Oprah Winfrey Network, to uh, the uh, Investigation, uh, American Heroes, and uh, the Science Network. 
So, I mean, Discovery Communications has been around since, believe it or not, 1985. So this is a, a network that is not just, you know, new off the ground. I mean, the, the company itself has been around. And uh, as I pointed out, there's tons of sister stations, and Discovery America is just the one that found the right place. Even that one channel we were talking about maybe a few weeks or months ago, Velocity. Velocity, which for me is an HD channel, so if TNA went there, I wouldn't be able to watch it because I don't own an HD television. But I do have Discovery America on my uh, cable on Xfinity. If you own Comcast, you'll be able to watch Destination America. So I'm happy about that. So I'll be able to continue watching TNA and supporting TNA. So that's something I'm looking forward to. Uh, as he pointed out, Dixie said that TNA should be the focal point of the network, that they have even discussed you know, adding other programs, other shows on the network. But as Solomon pointed out, I mean, that's all well and good. TNA is going to be their main focus. That's awesome. But they really have to focus on Impact Wrestling. They have to focus on, I'm assuming, will be the two hours they dedicate on the network, whether it's Wednesday night or another night. They need to do everything they can to make that show be the best show it can be on the network for the wrestlers, for the fans. It needs to be the best it can be. It can't just be, oh, we got new music, we got uh, new logos. I even heard that they're thinking about getting rid of Mike Tanay, and they're going to bring in uh, Josh Matthews to be the new uh, yes. play-by-play announcer. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of a it. step in the right direction, but there's parts of the show that they also need to sort of revamp, you know. I'm not saying they got to start from scratch and start having new champions. There's nothing wrong with Bobby Roode being the TNA champion, low-key the X Division champion, Taron Terrell the knockout champion, uh, James Storm and Abyss as the tag champions. That's all well and good. You know, you continue what, what you left off on Spike. You bring it to the new network and you pick up where you left off, but you try to deliver a better show that gets people watching because one of the reasons why Spike let go of TNA was Spike wanted the network numbers to go up. They wanted ratings to go up. I mean, when the TNA first started, they were doing pretty well. I think they were on, believe it or not, slamming Saturday nights, as they called it. They were on every Saturday right. for maybe about an hour. Uh, eventually they moved to, uh, I think, Thursday night in 2006. Then, of course, they gave it a two-hour time slot. And as he pointed out, there was the Monday night uh, show where they went head-to-head -head with the WWE. And at one point, people probably forgot about this, but TNA was actually three hours, believe it or not. They did a pre- and post-show, which is, sounds familiar because that's exactly what the WWE does now. But TNA had a thing, and it was called TNA Reaction. And uh, it started out as a pre-show, but it ended up being a post-show where you would watch TNA and whatever ended, let's say if you had Sting and Jeff Jarrett or Kurt Angle fighting each other, and then, of course, you know, you cut Spike TV, and then all of a sudden here comes Cops, the next uh, show on the network. You could watch, you know, maybe, or whatever they did, but you could watch uh, TNA Reaction, and TNA Reaction followed the events of what just happened on Impact. And you would see backstage interviews. You would see the fallout. Maybe you'd see Kurt Angle being stretchered on an ambulance 
but it, they just tried to document it as if it was happening in real time and the fallout, uh, so to speak, of what just happened on Impact, you know, promos and interviews of, you know, the matches. It was you know, it was okay for what it was. Like I said, it sounds very familiar if you watch the WWE and their post shows and what they do now on the network. But for them, it was something new. They were trying to add, you know, just another layer to the show, hoping to get people to tune in. And, you know, I thought it did well at first, but eventually the numbers went down, people tuned out, and they got rid of it. But uh, then it went back to two hours, and I think it moved to prime time. This was a huge thrill for TNA. TNA always wanted that prime time slot, that uh, 7 Central, 8 Eastern time slot, because before they were always on, I don't know if it was at 9 or 10, but now they got prime time. So that was a huge coup for them. But then, for whatever reason, I don't know if the people weren't watching, they didn't like the time change, so what happens? They lost prime time, and they went back to uh, their usual time in, uh, was it 2014? I think it was just this year. And then they went back to Wednesday. They went back to Wednesdays where it all started, when they were doing the weekly pay-per-views on Wednesday. And now they're back on Wednesday on Spike TV. They're two hours again. And unfortunately, they couldn't get the numbers up. The numbers were going down. A lot of the big talents were leaving. Hogan, Van Dam, Sting, AJ Styles, so many guys were leaving. They couldn't get the numbers back up. So they decided to get rid of TNA. You know, they didn't meet their quota, so they dropped them. So now TNA is starting fresh. They have the opportunity on Destination America, and we hope they make the most of it. We hope they revamp the show to the point that it's, it brings in new viewers. We're hoping that some of the old viewers continue. As you pointed out, a lot of people are going to be thrown out by the, the switch. You have those casual fans who are probably going to tune out. They're going to forget what channel it's on. So that first show it's really a make-or-break show. You're hoping it does well. You're hoping they succeed. But there could be a, a part that, you know, maybe the numbers aren't as good as you hope just because it is a new station and it's hard. I remember when WWE left the USA Network and they went to TNN at the time before it was Spike. You know, it was hard. They, it was a hard for them to recover. A new network, uh, it was very difficult for them to get a steady pace. And look what happened. They went back to USA. But you know, we're hoping things go well for TNA. As Solomon pointed out, as we've pointed out here on King Jordan Radio, I think Blackjack and you, King, and Dominic, we all agree, nobody wants to see TNA go out of business. We hope that this is a very successful partnership with TNA and Destination America, and everybody thrives involved. Absolutely. What's your thoughts, Blackjack? Blackjack, Jack, you there? I think we lost him. Okay, Bray Wyatt recently was interviewed, and he spoke about his theme music. Let's take a listen and talk about it on on the other side. Just give me a second. Uh, as I wait for this, just want to remind you folks that uh, coming up this Thursday... Um, 9 Eastern will be Florida Sex Crimes Prosecutor Stacey Honowitz. Uh, she'll be joining us to talk about the Bill Cosby situation, Ferguson, um, the Adrian Peterson where he hit his child situation, and much, much more. Okay, let me try. I'm trying right now to 
to get this darn thing. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about your theme music. Uh, because from what I've gathered, you were surfing the internet or going over a data bank of a database of uh, songs, and you come across a song done by Mark Crozer. Now, when I first heard your music, man, I'm, I'm a big Alice in Chains fan. It almost sounded like something oh, that yeah. they would do uh, with a little bit of Lane Staley uh, in there, and but it, but it was not. It was this dude named Mark Crozer. You found this song. Yeah. How did you present this to the powers that be in WWE and say, "Dig this. This is what I want to use as my song." And yeah, that's another that's another uh, interesting little tale. Uh, there's a guy uh, at FCW uh, who, uh, who I owe a lot to for that. His name was Rob Naylor. And uh, they came in and they told everyone, we got a new database. Everyone's getting new music down here. So, you know, everyone goes in, they they hear the first little generic rock beat, and they go, yeah, that's me. Right. So they're all going in there for five minutes. But me and Rob Naylor, I said, I'm not... I'm not leaving this place, Rob, until I am satisfied and I know that I've found the one. So I spent days in there with Naylor. And we were looking for just everything. And I kind of stumbled into, uh, I said, type in Radiohead, you know, because you would search the database and there's likenesses. So I typed in Radiohead because I liked the way there. It was just different. I didn't want rock music because it wouldn't have been right. I didn't want rap because it wouldn't have been right. I wanted stylized music that fit Ray Wyatt. And we found this blank track, no name. We didn't know who made it, but it was uh, Living Fear uh, by Mark Close. And right when we heard it, we literally played it over the loudspeaker in the arena. And I walked out to it. And it was just that feeling of, man, you know, this captured the essence of everything that I was trying to portray. This is a, this is the right thing, you know? And uh, we went with it. And uh, since day one, I've always had that song down in FCW, through NXT, through all that, I have that song. And uh, like I said, we never knew who made it. And uh, uh, I saw Mark Closer's name for the first time pop up on Facebook, not Facebook, I don't remember this. Uh, and he was he was baffled <laughs> that song would be uh, brought into a wrestling, you know? Right. He, he never fathomed in a million years. So it was, it was very rare when we got to do the entrance together at Mania and they were wearing the, the buzzard masks and all that. It was just like it had come full circle, and I realized how how just real all of this had come from a tiny warehouse in Florida where no one cared to the biggest stage of them all, you know, in New Orleans uh, at WrestleMania. So it was just to match made in heaven, made to be, man. Okay, Bray Wyatt, a little piece, uh, JJ, you talking about his theme, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You also have to...
Well, that was actually pretty cool to hear Bray Wyatt actually out of character, just talking normal. Lots of times we we hear him going on and on on Monday Night Raw, and he's babbling, being very cryptic, and uh, talking in riddles. And here we were just listening to him talking about, you know, when he was picking his theme music. And, you know, it, it might be kind of funny to say, but it's such a big thing, your entrance, and just the impression fans have of you when they hear your music and you walk down that aisle and this was something that he was serious about. I mean, he just pointed out how, you know, you know, the, a lot of the other guys in FCW, they were, you know, just taking whatever the WWE gave them, whatever generic theme. And Bray really sat there and said, no, I need to find something that really plays to me and something that I can, you know, feel when I come out there. And he sat there for I don't know how long. He went through so many different uh, songs and he did some searches. He came across what eventually would be that Live in Fear theme, and he just loved it. And it, it was pretty cool to hear him say how he was in this kind of like empty warehouse. They hit it, and he was just kind of walking to it, and it just felt right. It had that mystique that the Bray Wyatt character needed. And, I mean, now look at it. Uh, he pointed out it's funny being empty in this warehouse, and then you go to, to WrestleMania, the biggest stage of them all in New Orleans, that uh, with the outdoor stadium, and it was just it was mind-blowing. I mean, the sea of people, and they, it's in the dark, and they have their iPhones out, and they got the flashlights, and all you see is these light bulbs in the arena, and it's such a you – know, say what you will about Bray Wyatt, the wrestler, but the character, his entrance, he really does have something special there, and there is something that you just won't forget. It's something people look forward to. They look forward to, to just being there. Uh, I've been in wrestling my entire uh, life. I remember last year when uh, the last time I'd been to a WWE event was uh, 2013. I didn't go once this year, but I remember seeing Bray Wyatt for the first time on a Monday Night Raw, and the fans didn't really do that uh, light bulb thing yet. But they turned the lights out, and they had Bray kind of walking, and just hearing that music, it's a cool song, man. I mean, it's something that just really fits him. Hell, I even got it on my iPod. I play it when I walk my dog, you know, around the block. But uh, it's a cool theme, and it was really cool to hear Bray just talking, you know, as a regular guy, you know, out of character and how much that theme was important to be different, to stand out, and how much it really fits that character. Now, I can't picture Bray Wyatt coming to the ring without that song playing. I mean, it's just such an iconic moment. You know, maybe not as big as The Undertaker when the when you hear that gong and then they have the druids and the lights go out and he raises his arms. But this is, you know, for this generation of wrestling fans, that's as close as you're ever going to get to The Undertaker is when Bray Wyatt comes out in the dark with the, that creepy music playing and the, the, the whole light bulbs of the fans and their iPhones. It's really something special that you've got to see to believe, and it looks great on, on television. And uh, he definitely stuck it out for the right song because, like I said, it's, it really fits him to a T. It's, it's a good song. Uh, no question. Recently, uh, we played in our video a couple weeks back. I forgot which one. But uh, I um, recently... Um, Alberto Del Rio, uh, who was by the WWE, evidently sent in with RF video, and uh, they released a small preview. 
Let's take a listen to it and talk about it on the other side. Alberto Del Rios. Uh, I've been in wrestling my entire life, and uh, and to me it was fantastic because while while my friends were dreaming to to one day play or see Superman or Batman, I had my superhero at home. I had my dad with me all the time, and uh, and um, uh, they they have this old saying in Mexico that. Um, that to be a wrestler, you have to look like a wrestler, you know. And even though we know that uh, probably the 60 percent, the 60 percent of the wrestlers in Mexico have big bellies, and right. <laughs> uh, that was not the case with my family. My dad, my uncle, they were body bodybuilders, amateur wrestlers, so they were always involved in sports, and they passed that on to me. Early memories about eight, ten shows per week. Uh, everybody was doing, back then I remember Mystico, the first in Cara, doing $5,000 per show. He was like the John Cena down there, but right. I was I was like the Randy Orton of Mexico, so I was doing like $3,000 per show. And again, I, we were we were working seven, ten times per week. The, the business was fantastic. But for the for the Lucha Libre style, Dr. Wagner is one of the best, and he's he's one of the, the, the few guys in Mexico, in Mexico who can come to United States or go to Japan and, and work and adapt to the style immediately, just just the way I did. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I, I wanted to go, and, and I talked to, to Paco and told him that I was ready to go because they were offering me good money, but but Paco offered me more. And, uh, and of course, I told I told John, Lana, John Laronides that, uh, that I was getting, getting more money from the Mexican company, and he was like, well, if you want to stay there, you stay there. You're going to lose this big opportunity. And I said, well, it's not, I'm not losing any opportunity. I'm making more money than the money you're offering me. So yeah. I'm sorry. I really want to go to WWE, but this is a business. And, and most of those kids or most of the new wrestlers need to learn that this is a business. We're doing this, yes, because we love it for fun. But we need to make money. If you don't make money, you were there. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they 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 were like, we all know that you're here to learn the style, and you're doing it well. I know the system sucks, but we cannot treat you different. And and they were right. I was like, yeah, I mean, I totally understand. Just imagine if I go, they would have hated me, you know, all right. the other wrestlers. And I was like, I don't want you to treat me different, but. You know, it's just to me that we have to be here every single day at 9 sharp and be in the ring at 9, 10 with your boots on and everything. All that that system, I, I never liked that system, but, but those guys were fantastic to, with me. Dr. Tom, Norman, Steve, they, they treated me with respect. And, and I when I was about to lose my mind, when I was about to quit, he's, he's the one who said, who came to me and said, listen, don't do it because you have a bright future. You're going to make a lot of money in this company because you are a fantastic wrestler. You're a great wrestler. Developmental, when, when I was in Developmental, it was like they, they, they sold the main roster like, like you were going to a concentration camp. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were like, yeah, don't talk to this guy, don't talk to that guy, go and shake hands, introduce yourself, and, and don't move. If you're somewhere, don't move because you don't know if they want to take that seat or if they want to take that spot. So just stay there like like a soldier and don't move. And I was like, Jesus Christ, why why are they making a big deal of this? This is wrestling. It should should be fun, you know? And uh, and, and, and Ray was so, you, well, you know Ray. Everybody knows Ray. I think Ray Mysterio is the nicest man on earth. <laughs> yeah. And then he was like, 
And you know what? Because uh, I was worried because, you know, nobody wants to lose, especially against the new guy, the guy that nobody knows. And uh, and but but Ray was totally cool, you know. He was like, you know, I don't care. He's, I I better I prefer to do this with someone like you, that with someone. And I was just it reached to the point where I was like, you know what? To hell with everything. I'm gonna do whatever I want. I was gonna ask you, did you get heat for doing whatever you wanted? Or? Yeah, 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 several times. Huh. Yeah, for for changing promos or for for not doing what they wanted me to do. But I mean. This is the funny part. They always say, go out there and have fun. But when you're doing TV, it's, it's go out there and have fun. But you have to do everything I say step by step. How you gonna, how the hell are you going to have fun? Hmm. Oh, it was great, man. Just imagine uh, me as, as a newcomer in the biggest stages of all against Edge for the title, sold out building. I think it was like 80,000 something people. Yeah. My entire family was wow. there. Oh, it was, uh, no, nobody knew wow. anything about it. Nothing, nothing. Uh, until, until that morning, I was supposed to win that night, and then uh, they changed it. They changed it like, like I don't know, two hours before oh, our wow. match. Yeah, And um, I don't know if they were testing me. You know, and, and to be honest, I'm not gonna lie. I got pretty upset because I, said, man, I mean, a lot of people they don't they don't understand Punk because he's he he has this uh, weird, difficult personality. But but he's a great guy. He's a great friend. It's someone you can trust. And we don't have guys like him in the business. There's there's probably working for that company and probably just like five or six. <laughs> but, yeah. Every single night was fun with them, you know. It was working with Punk was not just doing business. We were actually having fun, you know. He had to have us together. I think getting married in the ring, and I don't, I don't remember who came up with that stupid idea, but I remember the week before it was going to happen. We were in Europe, and they were like, "Okay, next week, you're you're firing Ricardo, and you hiring Rosa, and this, and then." And I was like, whoa, 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 why? I mean, why we're doing this? I mean, seriously, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I remember Dolph. That was the first time Dolph and I had a conversation that involved more than than three words. Right. He was. He said, "Are you comfortable with this?" And I said, "No." I mean, because. I, I was uh, I was fine being a heel. I was uh, I was that heel, and then they made me a baby face for no reason, just because somebody in the office thought it was a good idea, and they pulled the trigger. And Even though he's yes, exactly, he was putting people in those seats, and he was bringing a new audience, audience that are not from wrestling. They were there just because the Rock was there. I respect guys like him. I don't respect some other guys coming back just to get their check, but. But uh, I, I I do respect The Rock. At that time, then I I told him his comeback and the rest of the match, and and he we ended up having an amazing match. And I remember he gave me the receipt for that because he he put it in the corner, and he he kicked the shit out of me. I didn't say anything because you know I knocked him out yeah. and I deserved it. Uh, and it was just an accident. I'm one of the safest workers in the business, but but that day, I mean. Uh, it was just that crazy. What El Santo said to me when uh, when uh, when he saw me in Mexico, he was like, "Listen, brother, we are doing five per show. People like Blue Demon, me, and the first Sin Cara. In wrestling words, 
if we're doing five, in wrestling words, Rey Mysterio is God and Alberto El Rio is the devil. If we're doing that amount, you guys are going to make a lot more here with us. And, and and it's happening. I went down there and they gave me, they offered me a contract WWE style with the downside and and and, and royalties and everything. And and I'm, I, I can pretty much tell you that I'm doing the money I was doing my last weeks in WWE already. And that's just with Mexico. I'm not counting signings and special appearances. This is so funny because... It, it, uh, yes, they have all these programs against concussions and something, but if for some reason you you cannot perform that day, if you say I'm hurt, they remove you from everything. So I worked concussed several times, several times, and I didn't say anything because I remember after the first concussion they removed me from the pay-per-view. I lost a lot of money, and then they gave my spot to somebody else, and I was like. Jesus Christ! No, in the ring. In Every the ring. day in the ring. I mean, I, I'm gonna tell you this story with, uh, and this is why I love pro wrestling. Uh, three years ago, three four years ago, Ziegler, Dolph Ziegler, and I didn't didn't spoke, didn't didn't talk one word in the locker room. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were just like. Hey, what's up, man? What's up, buddy? And when th then when we started to work together, it was one of those. I think back then he didn't like me, and I didn't like him. You know, I I think I don't know, I don't know because right. we, we, I, I I was never one of those guys happy with just going out there and do whatever to get my check. No, I'm, I'm I I I have pride for what I do. I love this business more than 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 anybody I know. And, uh, and to me, it's a matter of pride. It's not just about the money. Okay, JJ, a very revealing side to uh, Alberto Del Rios. What is your take on what you just heard? Well, that was uh, amazing. What a great uh, interview by Alberto Del Rio. I just loved hearing uh, just about his childhood. And he said, you know, other kids played with Batman and Superman. And, you know, his hero was his dad and his family. And he loved, you know, wrestling and and eventually when he was started on his own and he was wrestling and, you know, he got the offer to go to WWE and he was saying, well, I mean, it's great. I mean, it would be a dream to, to come work for the WWE, but the, for the money you're offering me, I mean, shit, I'm already getting that, you know, where I am, if not better. And it would actually lose money coming to you. So why, why should I go work for the WWE and lose money? But, you know, he went there. It was his dream. He didn't want to, you know, go there and ruffle any feathers and try to, you know, you know, get the contract and get more money. You know, here's this new guy, and he's already, you know, running rough shot. So, you know, he went there, and he worked his way up. He got to work with a guy like Rey Mysterio, who obviously, you know, very well respected him and uh, his family and his heritage. And Rey always being the cool guy, never having uh, any agenda. You know, he was happy to work with Del Rio and to put him over. And uh, he mentioned how, again, that it's funny. What Del Rio said was often uh, what uh, Punk said on his podcast. They tell you to go out there and have fun, but then there's always these kind of uh, attachments. Well, don't do this, don't do that, and if you do, well, we're gonna we're gonna take it out on you. You're gonna get heat. You know, they're not gonna work with you. They might take something away from you. It's like, well, you know, that's not fun anymore. And it's just, it's very frustrating for the talent. And Del Rio even said, you know, he's not one of those guys that will just go there, get his check, 
put a, a you know piss poor match together and walk out and you know do it again. He goes out there. He has great pride. He has his family, his heritage. Uh, you know, he takes a lot of pride in that. Going out there, having the best match he can possible, and you know he cares about wrestling the way. You know, a lot of us fans care about wrestling. We want to see wrestling. We want to see people who are passionate about wrestling and delivering the best product they can. And Del Rio's one of those guys. And that's something even Del Rio said he's had in common with Punk. And he says, you know, Punk had a lot of people who didn't like him. He, you know, ruffled a lot of the feathers backstage. He got upset. A lot of people were upset at him. But he was one of the few people there who was honest. He stuck up for the boys. He stuck up for, you know, wrestling. If he was upset with something, he confronted people. He wouldn't just, you know, just take it and go and say, oh, oh, well, whatever. And again, Del Rio, which was a funny story, which he mentioned WrestleMania. Of course, he main evented with Edge uh, for, I think, the World Heavyweight title. And I think we all thought that uh, Alberto Del Rio would win the title from Edge. But I don't know if there was a last-minute change because they knew Edge was hurt because he had to retire, and they changed it, and they let Edge have his uh, WrestleMania moment, and he won, and he kept the title, and then he forfeited it, and eventually it would go on between Del Rio and Christian. But, you know, as Del Rio said, you know, maybe they're testing me. They want to see if I fly off the handle, if I'm going to be upset that they took the title. And, again, that's something that happens all the time. And WWE, there's these last-minute changes literally up to the day of the show and they might change their opinion on something and uh, it's just it's very strange i mean you assume they're going to go through with it and it's going to be the way they had it planned but for whatever reason they changed it del rio said well you know he just rolled with the punches he wasn't going to make a big deal out of it and uh you know he talked about other things uh, like Dolph ziggler and you know he mentioned that he's one of the safest guys to work with uh that one incident with Dolph, where you know he gave him this uh, hard kick and it Gave him a concussion. Uh, it, it was uh, it was very brutal for uh, for Dolph, and Dolph kind of went. He kind of lost his momentum for a bit, but then when he came back, he was red hot. The fans were behind him. They turned him into a, um, a face, and I think Del Rio at the time, who was a face, they turned him into a, a, a heel. Even though to him it didn't make any sense because he was working, he was making good money. The you know despite. Uh, you know, what the fans were doing. Sometimes some cities love you, sometimes other cities hate you, but he had the merchandise going for him, and when you turn heel, your merchandise sinks because not a lot of people want to buy the merchandise of the bad guy, the guy you're supposed to boo and you're supposed to hate. So even though it didn't make sense to Del Rio, he shut up and he did what he was told, and unfortunately, you know, he had to pay for it. Uh, and then he got in the ring with Ziggler, and, you know, Ziggler just kind of gave him a nice little thing to <laughs> just to say, hey, you know, remember when you gave me that concussion? <laughs> so that, that was just kind of like a, a funny moment uh, to me. But it, it's surprising to hear how these guys are in the locker room. You think that uh, they're all friends and they all get along, and here he's with the company for how long, and he never said a word to Ziggler until they started working together. And then once they started working together, 
then they kind of, you know, developed this kind of friendship in which they talked to each other and they were more back and forth and friendly with one another. But just the whole environment uh, uh, backstage in the, the WWE, it's something that even Punk said, it, again, in the podcast, which I don't think we have enough time to get into, but it's very bipolar because it's very business-like and they don't really, they keep telling you to have a good time, have fun, but then if you do, if you break the script, they penalize you and it's just, they take all the fun and joy out of wrestling. So it, it's just, it's really, well, it's really bipolar and it's unfortunate. But Del Rio, as he pointed out, he's doing well. He's making just the same amount of money now as he was in his final weeks in the WWE. So he's doing well. And I, I hope, uh, you know, to see Del Rio, I don't know, if he'll be one of those guys to maybe jump ship to TNA next year, now that they have a new network, it would be awesome for me because I'm a, I like Del Rio. He's a, always been a solid performer, a great wrestler. You know, fans sometimes are, you know, they they cheer for you, they boo you, they like your matches, they don't. Fans are kind of funny that way, but Del Rio always a solid performer, always. Uh, delivered the best possible matches he could in the ring. So whether he goes to TNA in the future or maybe he goes to that Lucha Underground, which I just realized that uh, on Comcast Xfinity on my cable network, I do get El Rey. So I, I can start watching uh, uh, Lucha Underground. So I'm kind of looking forward to checking them out. So um, it's you know, a very uh, exciting time with wrestling, these new options with Lucha Underground, with TNA, of course, uh, the WWE, which is still here and doing what they do and on the USA and the network. But, uh, you know, things have changed, and uh, it's just kind of, that's just the way it is. Very good point, indeed, and uh, that's about it for tonight. Don't forget, we'll be back Thursday to talk about Bill Cosby and much, much more. I want to thank Double uh, J, our wrestling insider, for providing us a very good show, along with Mike Jack Brown. Thank yeah. you, guys. <laughs> All right, King and uh, Blackjack, always cool uh, hearing from you. And King, uh, you take it easy, man. Okay, he's there, but he's not there. Anyway, here's a little preview for uh, this Thursday, 9 p.m. with Stacey Honowitz, Bill Cosby. We'll be talking about him. Kevin here with IGN News. Both Netflix and NBC have canceled comedy projects with Bill Cosby as he faces continuing sexual assault allegations. The comedian was set to make his return to the small screen with the network that made him a star in a new family comedy. NBC has elected to drop the project in light of recent events. The former Cosby Show star was also working on an original comedy special for Netflix, which has also been delayed indefinitely. A Netflix spokesperson said in a statement, at this time, we are postponing the launch of the new stand-up comedy special, Bill Cosby 77. The special, which was taped on the actor's 77th birthday in July, was set to launch on Netflix on November 28th. Allegations against Cosby have surfaced over the last several months. Among them, music publicist and journalist Joan Tarshish wrote an essay in Hollywood Elsewhere, which she claims that Cosby drugged and raped her when she was 19 years old on two separate occasions. Barbara Bowman wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post, alleging that Cosby drugged and raped her in the late 1980s. Former supermodel Janice Dixon came forward in a recent Entertainment Tonight interview alleging that Cosby raped her in 1982. Cosby had already settled a sexual assault suit in 2006 out of court. Court documents reveal that attorneys had planned to bring forward 13 additional women. Cosby and his representatives have repeatedly denied the allegations. We'll keep you updated as details emerge here at IGN News.